Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Crime Stories. Just me this time? My oh, wait, I here? thought. I'm going to be honest. working here. I'm going to be honest. We haven't done this in so long that when I said Bed Crime Stories in the last one, that I thought I fucked you're up. You're like, am I wrong? Yeah. I thought I fucked up. So let's take right, two. So, take two. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed, Bed Crime, Crime Stories. Stories, the weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. <sighs> man, it's been it's been a moment. I'm I'm still trying to get back in the groove. I don't know, man. I'm like in a really I'm like exhausted, but I'm also in a weird goofy mood. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. I get okay. like that when I drink a lot. I don't even like drinking a lot. Off, of and then I come off of, of being and then I come off of being drunk. You know that you know that feeling that I'm talking about? Like when you drink a lot and then you're coming off of being like drunk and you're just like you have energy, but then you're tired. I don't, I don't know. know. Coming off of being drunk, I'm usually asleep. <laughs> well, I'm going to kick tonight off with our true crime headlines. Yes. Okay. My first headline is from people.com. <laughs> it was published on May 11th, 2021, which is Jovi's birthday. Whoop, 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 whoop. Happy belated birthday, Jovi. All right, so the headline reads, Angel of Death, VA hospital nurse, gets seven life sentences for killing men with unprescribed insulin. So the families of seven elderly men murdered by a former VA hospital nursing assistant who injected each with unprescribed insulin still doesn't know why she did it, but they do know she'll spend the rest of her life in prison for doing so. Now, I also would like to point out that literally as I'm reading this, I just realized there's a huge grammatical error in the people.com article and it says she's still okay with prescribed insulin still don't know. Oh, nope. It is the correct grammar. I'm dumb. Wow. What is... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. She killed people. The end. Jesus. Mary you know, and Joseph. You know, you know what that made me think Even of now. when I did see that? Hmm. Was Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's very, it's very like, clean. I'm using air quotes. It's, like, a clean way to kill people. Like... Yeah. If they were bad people, that's how you would do it. My second true crime headline. Let's see if I can actually fucking read this time. This is from Oxygen.com, and it was published on May 11th, 2021. Um, And the headline reads, Couple senselessly gunned down outside the home they'd planned to move into, allegedly by a friend. So Destiny Knight and Charles Garrett were setting we're getting set to move into a new home, but we're gunned down just outside of it. Daniel Brinson has been charged with their murders. So they were a young couple in Virginia. They were allegedly shot and killed by a longtime family acquaintance outside a home. They had planned to move into together. Um, the shooter, the accused shooter was 22 years old and the couple destiny and Charles were both only 18. They're babies. Yeah. Getting ready um, to start their lives. For real. So he's been charged with two counts of murder. Warrants were uh, issued for his arrest on May 5th. He was previously taken into custody by Marietta Police Department days after the suspected shooting on unrelated charges. So the motive in the double murder still has not been released. They don't have any idea what the technical motive was for, for him shooting them, but killed both of them. This is why I don't have friends. Yeah, right? Mm-mm. Sorry. Just kidding. No, you guys are my friends. What was that face? <laughs> You're like, gee, thanks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ma'am. 
Uh, so this week I am doing Ferion Wardrip. I have literally never heard those two words before in my life. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've been out watching a lot of Shattered. So I think for the next couple of weeks, y'all are gonna hear a bunch of Shattered stuff, except for in two weeks when I do the uh, the Dozer Boys. Mm-hmm. So is Shattered a Discovery Plus show? It is. Nice. I love Discovery Plus. Me too. I'm going to be really sad when I have to start paying for it. <laughs> I like that it's free right now. Yeah. But yeah, I've just been binge. I, I'm one of those people that I find a TV show and I just binge it. Yeah. But I have to be very picky with the stories because I feel like I could do every story on mm-hmm. there. And also, if you watch Shattered, make sure you only watch one episode a night and like watch something really happy after. Because like it's when you watch deep. it's pretty intense when you watch that at least like two or three in a row like you just you feel sad gotcha very sad okay so um my sources for today are people uh peoplepill.com uh shattered this was also on a forensic file too fun yeah i love forensic files yeah i was like i was like hell yeah so um Ferion edward wardrip was born march 6 1959 in salem indiana to george and diana wardrip uh, he was his parents' firstborn child, and um, he only had one brother. So basically said that there was no news articles or television reports of him ever experiencing any kind of mental or physical abuse during his childhood, and he dropped out of high school in the 12th grade. Okay, which um, was very normal probably for that time, yeah? I mean, yeah, probably the Because it was like in the 70s, 60s, 70s, yeah? Yeah, I mean, he was born 1959, so he probably would have been about... Mid seventies? No, it was early seventies. Seventies? No, I'm thinking it's way older than that. I keep forgetting. My mom was born in 1959, so it's not. It's not old, and it definitely wouldn't be normal for that time. Never mind. Your mom's like, it's not old. I was wrong. It is not old. She would be right. It's not old. So in 1978, at the uh, age of 19, uh, Wardrip joined uh, the United States National Guard. So after six years of service, he was released from the National Guard under a less uh, honorable discharge. The discharge was due to smoking marijuana, disorderly conduct, which, no, marijuana is really innocuous. Not that big of a deal. Right. But it was more the disorderly conduct in multiple absences without leave. So he went AWOL. During his military service, he was not uh, not deployed in combat duty. In March 1983, at 24 years old, he married his first wife, 20-year-old Joanna Jackson. The couple had two children together. The marriage was tarnished by Wardrip's uh, drug and alcohol abuse. The same year, he worked as a janitor at the Wichita Falls General Hospital. And within a year, he was promoted from janitor to orderly. Which they had talked about, I guess an orderly is like, they're not really a nurse, but they're like, assist with like. They're like a nurse's assistant's assistant. Yes. Yeah. They do like the, um, they'll do like the cleanup stuff and uh, bedpans and helping people, making sure they take their pills and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It says due to his addictions, he was unable to maintain employment and was bouncing between jobs. So Joanna's uh, parents helped the couple financially by paying their rent and buying their groceries. Mm -hmm. Tired of Wardrop's lack of responsibility and addictions uh, and, and addictions in December, 1985, uh, Joanna separated from him, taking the children with her. She soon filed for divorce, which was granted in October, 1986. Dang. Uh, Terry Lee Sims worked as a part-time EKG specialist at Bethania hospital in Wichita Falls, mm-hmm. um, Texas, while attending nearby, uh, Midwestern state university. Mm-hmm. So Sims and her co-worker, uh, Lisa Boone, had finished working their evening shifts at the hospital at approximately 
8 p.m. on December 20th, 1984. When leaving work, Sims rode with Boone to a mutual friend's house to exchange Christmas gifts. Sims was planning on spending the night at Boone's residence on Bell Street so Boone um, could help Sims study for her final exam the following day. Unexpectedly, Boone received a call to return to the hospital to work the midnight shift. I don't know how nurses do that. Bless y'all souls. Man, yeah, no, seriously, I agree. I can't, oh my god, I can only imagine. Um, she drove Sims to her resident and gave uh, Sims the key to her apartment, dropping her off at approximately 12.30 a.m. on December 21st, 1984. Okay. So at 7.30 a.m., Boone returned home from working a double shift at the hospital. After repeatedly knocking on the locked door and receiving no answer, Boone went to the landlord and was given a key to her residence. When she gained entry, she saw that the living room had been ransacked. Boone immediately ran to her landlord's residence, asking um, for her to find her friend, Sims. The landlord entered the apartment and found Sims lying on the bathroom floor in a pool of blood. Mm. She had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. While Boone was away at work, Sims had heard Wardrip causing a disturbance and went outside to investigate. Hmm. He had lunged at Sims and she ran back into the apartment and locked the door. So, I guess it said Wardrop targeted Sims for no apparent reason and broke the door down after she had locked him out. Dang. So, they said that the door was locked and that he broke it down and then it was relocked. So, that was something else that in, like, everything that That I watched... That didn't seem to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing that just, like, did not align. So, Wardrop standing 6'6 and weighing 220 pounds grabbed Sims at 5... She was 5'3". Mm-hmm. And she was 94 pounds. Oh, my gosh. So she was, like, so tiny compared mm-hmm. to him. Um, and they said he had assaulted her. Um, because of her resistance, he bound her hands with an electrical cord. Um, she had been estimated to have lived several minutes after the attack was over. Mm-hmm. So it said that police officers preserved a semen sample and a fingerprint found on Sim's shoe for future analysts. So, over a decade later, the print and semen were positively identified to be those of Wardrip. So, Tony Jean Gibbs, 23, disappeared on January 19, 1985, while employed at Wichita General Hospital. Gibbs was no more than 5 feet 1 inch tall and weighed 94 pounds. So, these are like little women that he's attacking. Yeah. Wardrip came across Gibbs at about 6 a.m. in the morning after he had been out work, uh, walking all night. He knew Gibbs because she was a registered nurse at the same hospital where he worked as an orderly. Mm. Gibbs offered uh, Wardrop a ride, and after he got in her car, he began hurling her around and screaming at her. So it says he forced Gibbs to drive down an isolated uh, dirt road to a field. Two days after her abduction, her body was found within a few miles of the hospital. Mm. On February 15th, uh, utility workers found her naked body in a field at the southwest corner of West Jens. Sika Road. Sorry, I'm going to say that so wrong. It's J-E-N-T-S-C-H. And Highway 281 in Archer County, one mile south south of the Wichita County line, a day after she would have turned 24. She's mm. 24 years old. Yeah. So it said Gibbs had been sexually assaulted and stabbed. Gibbs had a total of eight stab wounds, three on her back and three on her chest, and two defensive wounds on her left forearm and thumb. So near her body, police found an abandoned school bus where her murderer likely abducted the attack. Authorities discovered Gibbs' clothing inside the bus. Gibbs had initially survived the assault and uh, stripped of her clothes. She had managed to crawl 100 feet before she had died. Wow. 
So after the killing, Wardrop then abandoned her vehicle after legally parking it at the intersection of Van Burn and McGregor Streets in Wichita Falls, less than a mile from his residence. Jeez. Yeah. So it says four days after Gibbs' body was discovered, Wardrop um, quit his job at the Wichita General Hospital. So. Wow. Yeah. Like, when you watch the forensic files, or, like, the forensic files actually really pissed me off because, like, it's actually, like, them interviewing him also. Right, right, right. And he's, like, one of those people that's, like, so cocky. And he was, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's, like, they would have caught me sooner if they would have just paid attention to the details. What an ass. Like, and he just talks about it, like, so nonchalant. And I'm, like, I just hate this man. <laughs> so, um, Danny uh, Lynn... Uh, 24 was initially suspected of Gibbs murder because he often rode his motorcycle near the area where she was killed and because he had met her at a nightclub days before she was killed. Hmm. He also failed a lie detector test and made suspicious statements. He's probably like, I don't, I don't know if you could like actually like, I, I don't feel like I believe lie detector test. Well, Cause I feel like if someone's like admissible in court, yeah. they're not valid. Because I feel like if someone's, like, nervous enough, they would, like, fuck up. Well, the whole thing is, is if you're a true sociopath, you're going to pass it because you know how to, you know how to react without physically reacting. Yeah. And if you're not guilty, you may be nervous enough that you make it look like you're lying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was then tried and even through a comparison of his DNA with the DNA from the semen at the murder scene was unsuccessful and only, um, circus... Uh, circumstantial evidence uh, was available. Right. So after two days of deliberation, the jury was deadlocked, which resulted in his release from custody. Since only one of the 12 jurors believed he was guilty, prosecutors decided not to retry him. That makes sense. Yeah. So two months after he uh, murdered Tony Gibbs, Wardrop traveled to Fort Worth, Texas, with the intention of looking for a job. In Fort Worth, he met 25-year-old Deborah Sue Taylor... In the early morning hours of March 24th, 1985, while at a bar on East Lanchester Street. Taylor had been at the bar with her husband, Ken Taylor, but Ken had left early because he was tired. Mm. Deb remained at the bar. Woodrup approached Taylor and asked her to dance. She accepted his request and the two times spent, spent time together in the club. So he asked to drive her home, which she agreed to. While outside, Wardrop attempted to make sexual advances, which were rejected by Taylor, which infuriated him and he ended up killing Taylor, leaving her body at a construction site in East Fort Worth. When Deborah failed to return home by the next morning, she was reported missing by her husband. Her body was found by two construction workers on March 29th, 1985. Taylor's murder was not believed to be related to the other four cases until Wardrop confessed during questioning hmm. after his 1999 uh, arrest. Wow. So prior to his confession, Taylor's husband was believed to be the culprit. He had passed three polygraph tests, and, but was still considered a suspect by police. Suspicions about Taylor had destroyed his life as members of his own and his family's wife turned against him. Wow. So, That's like, sad. That's real sad. Is. So he was actually one of the people because Shattered basically will interview three separate people that were involved in that case. And he he was basically like he had said that this was like the only interview that he was ever going to do. And he basically was saying like how they they felt like he was good for it. And they just kept trying to push him into like basically admitting that he had killed his wife, even though he didn't. Yeah. And like literally he, he said that one of his really good friends from high school came to his um to his house and was wired and he could tell that he was wired 
And he was just like, he's like, at that moment, he's like, I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. Of course not. Yeah. So he like, wow. he said it became like a very like lonely life. And hmm. I mean, he had a, they had a daughter and the daughter actually looks now that she's older, she looks just like her mom. Oh. So on September 20th, 1985, Wardrop uh, abducted 21 year old Ellen Blue in Wichita Falls. The abduction occurred um, as Ellen was walking alone to her vehicle after leaving her evening job as a waitress. She was also a student at Mid-State University in Wichita Falls. Once abducted, Wardrop forced her to drive to a secluded area where he eventually killed her by strangulation. He stated in a cold case episode that he had broken her neck. Leaving her body in a secluded area, he drove her car into the Wichita Falls, abandoned it along with her purse. Her blood was also discovered on the inside of the vehicle. A county road uh, crew employee found her body in a field in Wichita County on October 10th, 1985. So her body wasn't almost found for like three weeks later. Shit. So it said once her body was found, it was in a very advanced state of decomposition to the point where she could only be identified by comparing dental records. She may have been sexually assaulted as her underwear had been pulled down, but the condition of her remains prevented accurate analysis. Mm -hmm. Mm. So no semen samples were available. One of her friends had lived in the same apartment complex as Wardrop and had stated that she felt uncomfortable around him. Trust your gut. Yeah, trust your gut. So on May 6, 1986, Wardrop killed 21-year-old Tina Elizabeth Kimbrew, a waitress he had recently befriended. He went to her apartment and suffocated her with a pillow because she reminded him of his ex-wife. Prior to the discovery of her body, neighbors told police that they had seen a white man, six feet, two inches, with dark brown hair and wearing a baseball cap leaving the complex. So Danny Lynn, the one that had been uh, suspected of Tony Gibbs' murder, mm-hmm. was ruled out as a suspect because he didn't fit the description. Right. So a few days later, on May 9th, Wardrop called the police from across the state um, in Galveston, um, threatening to commit suicide. Mm. So once <laughs> once the police arrived, he confessed to the murder. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison. What year was this? Um, 1999, you said? 1986. Oh. 35 years in prison. He was he was paroled in December 1997. He moved to yeah, you heard that right. Paroled 11 years later. He moved to Olney where he remarried. It's on a new knee. It's an Olney. He remarried and became an active supporter of the local church, gaining a good reputation. And he he eventually got a job at a screen door factory. One of the people was talking about that they would like let him babysit their kids because that's how much they trusted him oh and i'm like no (laughs) and then i said don't (laughs) said no so in 1999 wichita detective john little began a cold case investigation of the unsolved murders of terry sims tony gibbs and ellen blue because these three women still had no right Resolution. The only reason he got caught with Tina Kimbrew was because he called and basically confessed to the fact that he had killed her. It's crazy. So DNA recovered from the scene where Sims and uh, Gibbs were found were later matched and indicated that both victims had been killed by the same person. Which I love DNA. I know. I love DNA so much. I know. Detectives, uh, Detective Little's investigation revealed a previously unknown link between Wardrop and Blue. One of his fellow officers revealed that while Wardrop was on trial um, for uh, Tina Kimber's murder, he admitted to knowing her. This lead had not been investigated at the time and it emerged. 
Wardrop himself stated that the agency would have been able to find a suspect much sooner if they had paid a little bit more attention. Wow. Yeah. So Detective Little found additional evidence linking Wardrop to the three unsolved murders. Blue had uh, lived one block away from Sims, and Wardrop had been employed as an orderly at the same hospital where Gibbs had worked as a nurse. Right, right. At the time, police had no DNA sample from Wardrop, so Detective Little used a simple ploy to obtain one. After being paroled from prison for uh, Tina Kimbrew's murder, Wardrop was working at a factory. During Wardrop's coffee break, Little approached Wardrop and asked him for a paper cup from which Wardrop had been drinking so that Little could spit tobacco out into it. I love it. Which I love it. He was basically talking about how, like in the um, forensic files, he Uh was talking about how he had asked him for a cup and he pointed to the trash can because he had just thrown the cup away. And he said he looked in and all he saw were coffee cups. So he was like... He goes, he's like, I almost panicked. He's like, it felt like forever. But he had picked the cup up that he had thrown in because he had just eaten crackers and there was cat crackers on the rim. So he was like, he knew that that was the cup. Oh, my God. Because then he's watching him while he's doing this, too. Right, so he's right. like. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. So um, analysis of Wardrop's DNA obtained from the coffee cup matched the suspect's DNA in the cases of Terry Sims and Tony Gibbs. Wardrop was arrested, and while he was in custody, he confessed to the murders of Sims, Gibbs, uh, Blue, and the additional murder in Fort Worth of Deborah Taylor. Right. So. Dang. Yeah. So, I mean, at least it gave uh, Deborah Taylor's husband, you know, that. Some relief that he's, first of all, not a suspect anymore. Yeah. He said that when he had gotten that phone call, he was like, it was the best day of his life. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine, like, living with that for, like. Absolutely not. You know, that happened in like 15 years. Absolutely not. So sad. In 1999, Wardrop was sentenced to death for the murder of Sims and three life terms for the other killings. In 2008, a federal magistrate uh, recommended that the death penalty be overturned because Wardrop received ineffective defense in his trial. So on June 14th, 2011, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a lower court ruling that ordered the state of Texas to either give Wardrop a new sentence, uh, sentencing trial or to agree to give him a life sentence. The case was sent back to the U.S. Uh, District Court uh, for reconsideration. So it says in December 2014, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals dismissed Wardrop's appeal regarding inadequate rep- uh, representation. Uh-huh. And it says as of 2019, Wardrop remains on death row. And as far as 2021, he is still alive. Dang. Wow. And that makes me angry. That's a crazy story. I, I Yeah, that's a crazy story. It, it just makes me like, I hate when people, and this is where I like, I get frustrated with our, like, our prison system and things like that. Like, if someone is sentenced to death and there is physical proof, why aren't they dead? Like, why are yeah. we paying to house them for 30 years and feed them and give them medical? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. I understand why, but I also yeah. know what you're saying, you know? Yeah. It's tough. It's just frustrating. But it that's, is frustrating. That's, that's the story of uh, Farron Wardrip, and he was not found out until, like, 1999. Wow. That's crazy. Serial killers, they're just... And it makes you wonder how many people, more people, like when people like this are discovered, how many more people that they're connected to. Right. Well, and I just, I also find 
cases like this fascinating because it makes you really realize and kind of appreciate just how many cases like this we're probably going to see solved in the next few Mm -hmm. years because of like familial DNA and like, it's just, it's fascinating to me, like how much DNA is actually going to solve some of these crimes that have been cold for ages, you know, which is fascinating. Especially, especially if the evidence was gathered correctly in the first place and it was Mm -hmm. well-maintained and all that stuff. I think that was one of the things that always fascinated me the most about BTK was the fact that, not only did they properly take in the evidence, they kept it and it was safe. And after all of those years, I mean, like, because there's teens of years later, they were able to compare DNA and know it was him, which is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Which is like crazy because some places they, they end up not keeping certain things. Yeah. It's just crazy. Oh, dang. Well, great story. That was my story. Thanks, Nikki. For the week. Thanks. Thanks for educating us about that getting, guy. Getting back in the groove. Getting back in the groove. Yeah, we took a little recording break, and now it's like we're trying to work out the kinks and remember how this all works again. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. My goodness. All right. Well, guys. Thank you. That goes another episode of Bed Crime Stories. We think you're all really groovy, and we like you all very, very much. Um, you can find us on our socials, Bed Crime Stories on Instagram, TikTok, and the Twits. Uh, that's Twitter for all you, for all you hip kids out there. <laughs> hey, fellow kids. I, I feel like I'm that, that meme. I'm the embodiment of that meme, especially when I'm on TikTok and people are saying things. TikTok as of this point in time, as we are recording is not currently active, but it does exist. Um, possibly by the time you're hearing this, it could be up and active. So my recommendation to all of you is to go to the Tic Tacs and start following us, Bed Crime Stories. So that way, when we start posting, you are ready to go. Um, you can yes. also email us at bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. We would also really love it if you went to wherever you listen to our podcast and liked, subscribed, commented, reviewed, and five stars rated rated it um the more you rate and review the more likely other people are to hear our podcast or to be suggested our podcast so please help us grow please help um our voices get to other people's ear holes as we are coming to your ear holes every week um so yeah smash that like button (laughs) sorry (laughs) anyway i think that's all for this week Thank you guys so much for listening. I don't say it every single week, but I do want to let you all know how much we appreciate every single one of you for listening and sticking with us and hanging with us every week. And we love you all very, very, very much. Um, You know, be kind to one another, please. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say. So thank you all. We'll talk to you guys next week. But until then, sweet dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.